I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today I'm talking with Tom and Kelly Brown. They lead a church in Marietta, Georgia, which is in the Atlanta area. Tom and Kelly were converted in the Crossroads Campus Ministry in Gainesville, Florida, and have led churches and campus ministries in Boulder, Colorado, Berkeley, California, Boston, Massachusetts, Los Angeles, and more, most recently, Atlanta, Georgia. They share their ministry journey and how they've grown their church in Atlanta from 177 to over 1,100 disciples, and their campus ministry from less than 20 disciples to 220 disciples. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I'm here with Tom and Kelly Brown in Atlanta, Georgia. It's the last day of the campus training program. My wife Pam and I came out here to sharpen up, to get tuned up in our campus ministry skills from the couple I consider the very best at this, and that's Tom and Kelly Brown. Tom and Kelly have been in the campus ministry for five decades, and I look forward to talking to them about their journey in the ministry, as well as what they're doing on, on campus now to, to grow it and to see success uh, in the eyes of God on campus and saving this generation. Tom and Kelly, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks. It's great to have you guys, and it's been a great training program yes, so far. What do you think, has. babe? Oh, yeah. It's been wonderful. We've, we've gotten so much out of it. I know. We love yeah, it. It's just, it's Tom, awesome. it's really fun to, to be with you. You're, you're, you have a boyish uh, quality to you. I know you're 70. Isn't that right? That's right. But you've got that boyish quality <laughs> yeah. that it's, you know, it's never changed. I mean, we, you were my minister. That's right. Back in the mid-80s, when I became a Christian in 1986 at Berkeley at the Dana and Durant building. And uh, I just I remember coming for the first time and just having goosebumps. Yeah, he shares this a lot. From you preaching the word and just the energy that you conveyed. It was just electrifying to me. I'd never heard anything like that coming out of the spiritual background I grew up in. It was totally different. And uh, I became a Christian. You moved on shortly after that, but it was an amazing time. And the campus ministry there at UC Berkeley yeah. had 100 disciples. Right. It was fired up. Really? I mean, so, my, so many of my friends went overseas to Japan, to the Philippines, to Thailand, and it was incredible, the, the spirit, the attitude. How did you guys become Christians? I, um, I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, and um, always had a goal and a dream to be a Florida Gator. And so I went there in the fall of 1969, not really religious at all. Our family, you know, really didn't go to church to speak of, except, you know, occasionally to see if there were some pretty girls, you know, around like at <laughs> Fellowship of Christian Athletes or something like that. That was sort of, you know, what you would do. And uh, so I, um, it was an interesting thing. I, I met a guy and played basketball on a middle school basketball team with him back in Jacksonville, a guy named Hub Dennison. 
And uh, he uh, he was sort of a, a good kid, you know, and through high school kind of had a different circle. But I was sort of wild and crazy, you know, sort of person. And uh, But I was looking for a roommate, and it ended up uh, finding him. He didn't have a roommate scheduled in Trussler Hall in University of Florida. So we became roommates, and then he became a disciple over the summer. And so here I'm coming to <laughs> University of Florida. It was ranked number one by Playboy magazine. You know, it's a number one party school. And I come in and uh, okay, let's go. Let's go rush fraternity. And he's he's inviting me to church. And so um, that wasn't threatening to me at that point because church was sort of innocuous, right? As right. I mentioned before. And so uh, I, I went to him. It was a uh, 14th Street Church of Christ, small little church, about maybe 100, 120 people, and um, it, it was. Uh, you know, it, 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 was, it was nice, it was sweet, it just wasn't what I was looking for, and, and I never went back. Never went back until the day after I was baptized. And um, But Hub Dennison decided to start a soul talk in our room at 10 o'clock on Thursday night. And so I was a captive audience, and Bruce Williams, who, if you know Bruce, is like persistent, and you know, he will not give up, he gets his claws in you. And so he would try to come fish me out of the study room while I had an English book and a Sports Illustrated hidden underneath, you know, to try to make him think I was studying. But uh, I, I went to, the, and so it was the very first time I really read the Bible and, and met Jesus. And I'm sitting here with my peers, and they're talking about Jesus Christ being real. And I started reading the Bible, and that's what started moving, you know, in, uh, you know, in my heart. And uh, I, I didn't really want to become a disciple. The lifestyle was way not what I, I wanted. I remember talking to Chuck Lucas, who was our campus minister there, and, um, and um, you know, talking with him about my fears about doing this. And I, I thought that, you know, this would be really great when I'm 30. <laughs> okay, and I can kind of get everything out of my system. And he said, how do you know you're going to be alive at 30? I said, that's fair. And, uh, and then I said, but if I become a Christian, I, you know, will I be able to play tennis every day? He said, no problem. Do that and share your faith. And I said, well, um, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to have to go into the ministry. He said, oh, of course not. You know, and anyway, that that's uh, another story um, that I'm sure we'll get into. And so um, it was after my first final exam. I did cheat, by the way. Uh, during that final exam, you know, a little handwritten notes, mm-hmm. you know, that I had. And I went back, feeling a little guilty, went back to my room. And then um, I talked to, to Hub. We had late night conversations. I could always talk around him. And it made me feel better about myself. <laughs> and so, but that night he was wiped out after that first final. And so I, I was laying in bed. It was 12 o'clock and then 1 o'clock and it was 2 o'clock. And I kept thinking about, you know, what my life was like. It was clear Jesus was the guy. If you're going to follow anybody, it's got to be him. He is the hero. It's just a matter of when you're going to do it. And then, uh, and then it was so obvious to me, this is a purpose in life. This is, this is you know, if you really believe this, this, this answers everything. It gives you something to get up in the morning, you know, work hard about. And so I was thinking about uh, what will my life be in a year if I don't become a Christian? It actually would be even better. I'd be in this fraternity. I'd be a little cooler, a little older, you know, make, you know, all of that, okay? And then I go, oh, two years from now, okay, still looking pretty good. Five years from now, ah, wow. Ten years from now, wow, I'll be in my career. I'll be in a country club or playing tennis every day or golf or what. Yeah, it sounds good. What about 50 years from now? And I thought, whoa, I'll probably be dead in 50 years. And it, it just hit me that uh, I got to do this. I can't keep putting this off. And I called Chuck Lucas about 3.30 in the morning. And I said, Chuck, I'm ready to become a Christian. Because we did see in the Bible, a book of Acts, they got baptized, right, when they right. made that decision. That's and so right. he said, that sounds great. Let's meet in the morning and we'll talk about it. And I said, 
No, no, no. I don't think we can meet in the morning. Uh, we need to do this now. Wow. Because <laughs> I'm not sure I'll be there, you know, in the morning. And so I uh, I got my best clothes. I bought a new sweater, you know, that you know that summer. I got my best clothes on and went to the church building. And um, they, uh, I'd never seen a baptism. They had these little white robes you were going to put on. And I, I was like, you know, no, I'm really not, I'm really not going to do that. Uh, you know, I picked these clothes out. Especially, okay, because the whole idea was that when you follow Jesus, you give up everything. And so I had my wallet in my pocket, my <laughs> shoes on, all my clothes on, and at 4.30 in the morning, old Bruce Williams, you know, came and, you know, joined us, a couple of people, and I got baptized into Christ at 4 a.m. that morning, December 5th, 1969. Wow. And, uh, you know, earlier that, uh, that, that year, it was a... You know, one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. Oh, my gosh. But for me, it was the leap of all leaps, the leap of faith to follow Jesus, to become a Christian. And um, I can always look back on that. I never have any doubts about that initial decision. However, as we all know, being a disciple is a matter of taking up the cross daily, on a daily basis. And some days I've done great at that and others not so great. Uh, But one of the great inspirations to me to help me do that has been the love of my life, you know, Kelly Brown, yeah. who I'm sure it's her turn. Now, she's not as long-winded as right. me, so, you know, that's well, probably I, good for I've the got podcast. Gi- <laughs> I've got to give a little shout-out to Bruce Williams here because he yes. Bruce disciples me. That's and awesome. uh, Hey, Bruce, great <laughs> hey. job. How you <laughs> I doing, think, Bruce? I think you could have, just, could have just retired after you baptized Tom right there. I mean, you went on to an amazing career in campus ministry as well, but... That's uh, really amazing. I love Bruce. So anyway, Kelly, how did you become a Christian? Well, my background was um, going to church on Sunday, and that was about it. Um, no scripture knowledge at all. But I was searching at a young age, around 13. I really thought, you know, God was important, and I, I wanted so much to be close to him. And then as I entered high school, I just got more and more worldly. I just, you know, lived in a an area that was very worldly, then ended up going to college at the University of Florida and got involved in even more worldliness and more sin. Pretty much was drunk Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night, and Sunday was my recoup day. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, but that's just what you did. And I remember getting so sick at my behavior, especially with men and um, all the, the things that went along with drinking and, and men that were just disgusting. And not even knowing why I did what I did. Hmm. But I remember a certain point where I thought, this is it. You know, this is ridiculous. My life's out of control, and this is just bad. Hmm. Um, It's meaningless. It makes me feel guilty. So I just started praying, you know, about knowing God. And um, then my, uh, at the end of my, my freshman year, a girl named Pat Ferrier knocked on my door. And this was in the dorm, and she invited me to church, and I thought, that was really odd. You know, <laughs> who's this person? I don't right. know who she is. Why is she knocking on my door? And I, I just immediately said, sure, I'll go. Um, but then that next, she goes, great, I'll come get you the next morning. So she came by that next morning, and I heard the knock on the door, and I had just gotten up, and I was by the door, and I, I just froze. And started to put, like, should I get in the closet? Should I, you know, put one leg in the closet? And because I, I thought she might open the door and come in. But she left, and I'm like, great. So I went out and sunbathed and, you know, took my book. I was studying um, on a towel. 
And she came by after church and said, oh, I missed you. I, I knocked on your door, and you know, I don't know if you didn't hear me. I said, oh, yeah, I, I wasn't feeling well. And she said, oh, well, I'm glad you're feeling better. <laughs> I was so guilty. I thought, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm better. And so she said, I brought you something. I brought you a gift. And she gave me this Bible. And I, I said, well, thanks. And then I went in, and I said to my roommate, this weirdo came to, to me and gave me a Bible. How crazy is that? And so I threw it in the garbage. Wow. And then I felt really guilty. I thought, no, I could get struck by lightning or something, so I'm <laughs> going to get the Bible back out. But, you know, I just I wasn't really open, but um, I was still thinking about God off and on. And then that summer, I really started praying to God. And then... That fall, we ended up pledging sororities, and I pledged Kappa Delta. Well, lo and behold, Pat was in my sorority. Oh, boy. And at first, my reaction was, oh, my gosh, you know, she's here. Right. Um, And so she would invite me and try to have, you know, religious discussions with me, and I just mocked her, laughed about her in the bathroom. We were like, Pat's probably out there praying for all of us, you know, because we all went partying and got drunk, um, and she was the real religious one. But there was one night, um, she had invited me to a Friday night devotional, which I didn't really know what that was. And I said, you know, no, I'm going to just chill and stay here tonight. Um, And she said, okay, left, took off. And then the phone rang in the hallway of our sorority, and somebody answered and said, hey, Kelly, it's for you. So I ran and grabbed the phone, and it's Pat. And on the phone, she says, Kelly, I'm coming to get you. And I was Whoa. like, what do you mean? And she said, I'm coming to get you. You cannot miss this. Wow. So I didn't know how to say no at that point. And she came. She got me. She took me to the Friday Night Devotional. And there was a small group sitting in a, a circle. And everyone was singing. And everyone had Bibles. And they wow. seemed to know the scriptures and turn to scriptures and read them and encourage each other. And I cried through the entire devotional. Wow. Wow. So... I finally felt like, wow, I get why she was bugging me so much. Mm. And this is what I've been looking for. Mm. That's, that's really how I felt, genuinely. And then, um, so Pat uh, started studying the Bible with me. I had a lot of questions. She answered all the questions from the scriptures. I'd never seen that before. And then at, at one of the studies, she started reading Galatians 5. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I grabbed the Bible from her. I'm like, where is that? <laughs> because I would never heard anything that specific about sin, ever. Right. And so I just said, you just read my whole life. Mm-hmm. And so are you telling me I'm going to hell? And she mm. said, well, the scriptures are really saying what they say. And right. so, you know, she talked to me about sin and having consequences. And I, I just had no idea. And then I got upset. I'm thinking, well, why in the world didn't someone tell me this? Right. Mm. I've been going to church all this time, and wow. no one told me this. Mm. So it was really a shock. But it was a good shock because mm. it, it really woke me up. And it was soon after that that I told her, man, I was ready to change my life completely. I wanted Jesus to be my Lord, and I wanted to be baptized. Wow. And so... But it was—it happened when I went home one Friday night, and I, I just—I was so restless. I couldn't wait for Pat to get there. I could not wait for her to get back and to talk to her, and to tell her I was ready. But um, she came in late. I don't know where she was, but she came in. I waited up, 
And I told her I was ready, and we called Chuck Lucas. So I was baptized about 1 a.m. in the morning. And I wow. actually woke my roommate up and said, guess what? We're going to the church. And she goes, what? <laughs> I said, you need to come with me. And so she came to church with me. It was a really small group. I don't know if there were five of us or so, but it was just the most glorious moment in my oh, life wow. to feel forgiven, to feel God's presence mm. in a way I didn't know you could. Mm. It wow. was amazing. Mm. That's wow. awesome. Thanks for sharing. That's October wonderful. 19th, 1971. Wow. wow. Now, naturally, when Kelly came to church, I offered to study the Bible with her, no <laughs> doubt. And she left one little piece out. Now, you can tell from both of our stories that it's God working behind the right. scenes right. to yeah. give you a roommate here, to have somebody who you met, you know, sharing their faith, all, all of a sudden being in your sorority. So, so God is the one. You know, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that, uh, uh, you know, we're not saved by works, lest anybody should boast, but we are God's workmanship, you know, prepared for good works that he prepared in advance. And that just puts so much the focus mm -hmm. on God. However, we're partners with him. And I remember... Pat, after she'd become a Christian, invited me to come to a Kappa Delta dinner, mm. okay, in Kelly's freshman year. We ended up sitting at the same table. Mm. I'm sitting at the end of the table completely smitten, you know, <laughs> oh my goodness. And we have a conversation. It turns out that her cousin in Jacksonville had gone out on dates with my brother. They were both the presidents of student councils, you know, at different rival high, high schools. And so I'm, you know, but Kelly is a freshman. She's dating a guy who drives a Porsche who's graduated already. <laughs> Already living in Miami, you know, oh and, I'm, and, and, and and after that dinner, I'm saying, Pat, you need to get that girl to church. You need to be a fisher of men. You need to keep. You, and I, I would ask I her, you know, that. seriously, every few weeks. So how's Kelly? You know, you don't give up on right, her, you know. Right. And so, uh, needless to say, I was very, very happy. That's and right, right after she was baptized, one of the, um, you know, one of the brothers said, "So Tom, so are you going to ask Kelly out on a date?" And I said, "No, I want to give her plenty of time to grow spiritually." So I waited a week, and the next week I invited her out, you know, on a date. And so God is gracious to That's me. That's amazing. But really, it's God is the one who is yeah. at work. Mm. And then we're partners, you know. And then it's amazing if we just allow him to lead us that, I mean, uh, as we all know around this mm -hmm. table, you, you have lifetime relationships. That's right. That mean so much yeah. to you and to your children and your grandchildren and throughout the generations. That's amazing. Yeah. That's what, a great what, story. I love what that. year did you guys get married? 1975. Okay. Wow. So 46 years ago, Kelly and I have been married 46 years in a row. In a row. <laughs> that's awesome. And there were other there were moments where we you know that was maybe a little bit in doubt, but that's the 90s and we're not talking about that decade right that's now. That's right. That's right. So I mean, you showed us some pictures of you guys from college days, early days. Yeah. I mean, you guys both have like movie star good looks. It, mm -hmm. it, you must have been quite a couple there on campus. That's that's a well. I know I don't. Want well, to at least one of us definitely. You know, they photoshopped me pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I did that. have better hair than I do now. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Gainesville. I mean, no. Gainesville Ooh. is is the kind of the fountain of campus ministry. Mm -hmm. It's where our movement yeah. really took off. What made it unique? Mm. What made it explosive? What what was going on there that when you look back, you go, hmm, that was mm. really amazing. Yeah. Mm. Well, w one of the things, I mean, again, God moves in different ways in different decades. There's no doubt about it. And um, when we look in the, our, our church history and you think about the explosiveness in different places around the world, 
Russia, for example, Moscow right. is that yeah. church. Well, God had, had planned that out, you know, and, and yeah. things were set up for that to happen. And back at that time in the late 60s, you know, if you guys remember, uh, maybe you're too young to totally remember, but, you know, you you can watch the, um, you know, documentaries on it. It was a time of real social unrest. Uh, it was uh, a time of the sexual revolution. I mean, things have really have not been the same since that. Right. I mean, a radical right. change. And uh, I mean, we were just kind of on the front end of that. Women's lib, civil rights, black power, uh, uh you know, anti-war riots and demonstrate. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then that mantra, don't trust anybody over 30, if you right. remember that. Right. There was a real generational divide. I remember, you know, in my um, my dorm, my sophomore year over in um, uh, Buckman A, Murphy Hall, you know, complex, uh, actually tanks going down the road right next to our dorms, wow. you know, quelling, you know, riots. And they were streaking. I mean, people literally ran <laughs> naked across the campus <laughs> Frequently, I mean, it was craziness, okay? And so, but there was, you know, I think a lot of people looking for, and they they found it in a lot of different areas, Mm. in drugs and sexual, you know, all kind of, you know, experimentation. And, um, you know, I I think it was a wonderful time to open up the Bible, you know, for people who never, like myself, or even Kelly, who's going to church, but and to really see the true inspirational, revolutionary, if you want to call it, the one who, who had the answers for all of this craziness in the world. So that was an inter- that was an interesting period. I think I think also, um, we, Kelly and I thank God all the time that we went to the University of Florida because the leaders there, the two elders, Richard Whitehead and Rogers Bartley, were supportive of, of a brand new campus evangelism program in the Churches of Christ. There were a couple of uh, pilot projects, one in Lubbock and one in, you know, in Gainesville. And they hired a young minister, Chuck Lucas, and, uh, and, and Chuck had that vision to have Bible studies. We called them soul talks back then. We call them small group Bible studies right now or life talks or something. And in in the dorms and fraternity, you know, houses. And so Kelly had, well, she started one, you know, there a a soul talk in her sorority, Sam Lang, who was one of the early pioneers. He was uh, six months ahead of of me coming into the church at Sigma Chi and his fraternity and Kip McKean. So many people, you know, became, you know, Christians and disciples there. But uh, we were just fortunate, and they were pioneers in that. And then the the, the key element in this was um, having in the dorms uh, soul talks uh, that um, that, that you you brought the good news to the campus, Mm -hmm. campus, ministry, ministering to the campus, not trying to just go to church or a student center, mm-hmm. you know, to hang out and not get polluted by these, you know, you know, hedonists, right. you know, on campus. So that was a very, you know, it was a very powerful, you know, time. And I'll pause and let Kelly, you know, uh, say some things about that. But, the, but it truly was a vision to bring the good news and to bring church to campus, mm-hmm. okay, and make that a part of your uh, you know you, your lives, and it was it was a very profound, uh, profound time, and it was also a time where people were looking. They were, I think, this generation now kind of like, oh, I got Google, I got social media, I got you know this, that, and the other, and maybe I'll figure it out on my own. Mm-hmm. And uh, that uh, it was a little different, you know. Period. The other, uh, other thing is, um, and we'll probably get to this later because 
in, in many ways in that era, campus ministry was a little easier in one sense because the dormitories were open. Mm-hmm. Now they're very much security after a whole lot of things, 911 right. and other things. And, right. and it, it was a very open environment, mm-hmm. you know, there. It's not as much, mm-hmm. you know, right now. It's a little bit more. It still could happen, okay, but it was wide open. I mean, we, you, you were in and out of any dorm or, you know, nobody asked any questions. And so it was, it mm-hmm. was easy to get with people and follow up with people and have a great time. I and mean, we weren't competing a lot. We had three three TV stations, so it's not like you're competing a lot with a lot of, you know, entertainment there either. Right. <laughs> yeah, I agree that people were questioning their own religious history, their, you know, their just religious authority, um, uh, our religious organizations, any kind of authority was being questioned. But I feel like I always grew up with a lot of questions, but no one ever took the time to answer them. Mm. And I think what Soul Talks did for me is they helped people get answers to a lot of their questions. Mm. Because everybody has them, Mm -hmm. but there aren't a lot of opportunities where the questions can be asked. Right. Or, like, I don't understand that scripture. Or or you can learn how to apply the scriptures. I didn't even know what that would look like Mm. or be like. And so... That's what a soul talk was for, was to, in a you know, short amount of time, to stimulate that thinking and to help people realize they do have questions that can be answered. Mm. Um, so I thought it was really incredibly effective. Um, it wasn't just a Bible study where you could go through the Gospel of John or go through a specific book, mm-hmm. but they were topical, usually. Mm-hmm. And so we tried to make them very relatable topics, topics that you knew would maybe pull people in. Um, you know, maybe Jesus's view on women or, you know, Jesus's um, relationships with the disciples and what that was like. Because, I, I mean, so many people, when I began studying the Bible with them, I realized they just did not know the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And so if you ask them a question, like, so where would you find that in the Bible? I know that's what you believe, but where would you find that in the Bible? They usually couldn't answer you. Hmm. But I know it's in there somewhere. I go, great, well, let's look for it. Mm -hmm. And so, (laughs) you know, but it's amazing how basic biblical teachings just weren't known. Hmm. And so it was exciting, I think, that taking the scriptures, like Tom talked about, taking the gospel, the good news to people was so important. And letting them, again, you know, fielding their questions and but giving them a real foundation to start building on. Mm-hmm. And then I loved the fact that we were really in a situation in Gainesville where Sam Lang would pull a group of Bible talk leaders together, and each one would have a chance to lead one of those, those discussions, just like you would in your dorm or your sorority or fraternity. And then you know you would get some critique, and it would help you go. Oh my gosh, that's a better answer, or that's a better way to handle that um, question that came up. But it really equipped us to feel like we could field some questions mm-hmm. and help people mm-hmm. come to knowledge of the truth and repent. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So if I can add something on that, Rob, sure. I, the uh, the elders and the the minister there, Chuck Lucas, and then Sam Lang when he became the campus minister, um, they didn't try to entertain us. I mean, we got, we entertained ourselves just fine, you know. You know, <laughs> you know, brothers football. We had great times and parties. And but 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 church was not church was about preaching Jesus as Lord, mm. very strongly, and uh, that 
the only true Christians are those who not only believe in Christ, are active in a church, but that follow him right. and have given up everything to follow him. Right. And so that that was preached in a powerful way and in a way um, stronger than generally today. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we can pull back, you right. know, you know, from mm-hmm. from that. It's not popular. It wasn't popular then. We were like, it was, the University of Florida uh, newspaper is called the Alligator, and so they had this big, uh, you know, front page article once that said there are two the uh, two fates that one cannot escape at the University of Florida. <laughs> One is being run over by a bicycle. The second is being approached by a soul talker. And it wasn't a complimentary article. Okay, and then eventually after the Jim Jones, if anybody knows what I'm referring to, you know, cult thing, then people wanted to throw around cult and parents got scared and whatever and all that kind of thing. But it was very strong and committed, you know, you know, preaching. And, and, and we practiced Acts 2 Christianity in mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it, people are a little blown away, but like our general schedule as a campus student, okay, is that we had Sunday morning uh, uh, Bible school, okay, uh, before church, and this elder uh, Richard Whitehead with this booming voice would just would would just go straight into the scripture, the Beatitudes, something like that. He had a favorite verse that I'll mention a little bit later on, and then we had church service. Okay, all mm-hmm. acapella singing. There wasn't anything fancy or cute about it, okay, but it was mm-hmm. just all heart and then great fellowship, mm-hmm. you know, that went on. And then we, um, you, you know, we would get together and go to lunch and do other things like that. On Sunday night, there was a service mm-hmm. at six o'clock. Sunday night service with some straight preaching of the word, and you'd write, invite more visitors. At five o'clock before that, we had student supper because, yeah. again, in the dorms, they didn't serve food on Sunday night. Again, God providentially helping right. us out. Wow. Right. So we invite all our friends from campus, and sometimes you'd have almost hundreds, you know, that were there. And the hmm. the great disciples, the married folks in the church, older singles would cook meals, and we'd be there, and we'd all go into church, and then fellowship sometimes at least two hours, you know, you know, at night until you know maybe nine o'clock, you know, at, at night on Monday we'd come back for a spiritual training program that Sam would teach on Book of Romans or the Life of David. We'd have a soul talk on Tuesday night at uh, 10 o'clock. And if you were training for the ministry, you'd lead one in another dorm on Thursday at 10 o'clock. And then there was a Wednesday night church. And you wonder, <laughs> how did we ever graduate? You know, but we did, uh, you know, it, you know, not only, you know, graduate, uh, you know, the general population, but, you know, many attorneys and physicians were, con- you know, converted, hmm. you know, there and, and lived that kind of life. So it was, it was, Acts two, really, you know, hmm. you know. Now Gainesville was a small town; it was a college town. But at one time, one percent of the, um, uh, the 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 population of Gainesville of about a hundred thousand then were members of the um, the Crossroads, uh, Crossroads Church of Christ. Wow. Okay, wow. so it so it was it was all of that. It was all of that, you know, together. And then if we if we do get to in this podcast about why maybe things have been successful, you know, here in North River in the campus ministry or in other places around the country where the campus ministry is thriving. It's not just a campus ministry. It's the heart of the entire church Hmm. where you're working together as a team. Hmm. And uh, that was absolutely present, you know, in Gainesville. And so forgive Kelly and I if we'll take the whole time talking about this. I mean, it's, uh, it's fun and meaningful 
and informative to reminisce a little bit yeah. and think about you know you know those you know those kind of days. So uh, Hebrews three twelve about um, you know encouraging each other every day that was clear and present. That's you awesome. You know in our campus ministry at that time. Yeah, I love yeah, we that really truth. were together just constantly and couldn't get enough. It wasn't like oh, I don't know if I want to you know spend the time going to that extra class that. Sam's, you know, teaching, I'd be like, yeah, let's go, let's do this. Uh, everyone was thirsty for the Word. And I, I just remember that so well. I feel like we were infused with the Scriptures. Mm. We had to memorize Scriptures, we, you know, would go to um, so many of these different classes that were taught. Even, I mean, Sunday school, it felt like we were just fed, fed, fed. It's almost wow. like a gourmet, you know, meal, yeah. uh, where you were just fed the Word of God constantly. Wow. And I do think that's important for young Christians because it is so new. Mm-hmm. And many of us went back home. I was, you know, persecuted by my mom in particular, kicked out of the house for a short time, wasn't spoken to for a year. But the word really kept me okay. It kept wow. me stable. Mm-hmm. It kept me faithful and helped me still believe that one of my parents one day would become a Christian. And my dad did when he was 96. Wow. wow. So, you know, it, those things really stayed with us. Wow. I don't know how else That's to say amazing. it. Wow, I love that. So you guys ended up going to Boulder, Colorado. And Tom, you were talking a little bit about this yesterday. I mean, the, the kind of numbers just, they kind of, they just blow my mind. Can you talk a little bit about that uh, first posting there in Boulder? Sure. Um, uh, that was a magical time too. You know, we were newlyweds. You know, and uh, just had gotten my my graduate degree. Uh, went to the University of Colorado, and um, they they had tried various approaches on campus ministry over the years, but without much success. And so uh, we interviewed, you know, out there. And it was funny, the minister out there, uh, <clears throat> they ask us a lot, well, do you use uh, film strips, you know, in your Bible studies? There was a thing popular back then called Jewel Miller film strips yeah. or some kind of like system. And, uh-huh. and we would just, no, we just open up the Bible and study the Bible with people. And then after we left, uh, the, the minister, Doyle Eaton, said to the elders there, that's a real sweet young couple, but they have no clue what they're doing, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> Because we didn't really have a formal study series mm-hmm. back then. I mean, we just we had the basic scriptures and mm-hmm. you know dug in. But uh, we moved there. We uh, we had one student. Okay, uh, you know there. So we didn't have a lot to work with. But again, God opened up you know some amazing doors. And what Kelly and I would do, we got an apartment close to campus, and we just spent all day on campus mm-hmm. and walking around and meeting people. Um, I mentioned like in our CTP, you know, yesterday. I was very comfortable with a football, so I carried a football around, just threw it at people. And if they caught it, we'd get a conversation going and open up and do a little Bible, you know, Bible reading. Mm-hmm. Again, the dorms were open. We could go actually even go in there and meet uh, people. Kelly had a very, very unique way of meeting people. She'd wander around lost and get directions, especially from <laughs> freshmen around the freshman dorms, and they'd become Christians, right? I mean, it was amazing. Yeah, that's great. And so, um, I have a terrible sense of directions. I always need help. <laughs> so you know what we did? We just went mainly there. We were armed with faith, mm-hmm. okay, because we had seen it before, and yeah. we had the we knew what it looked like and what it felt like, and so we really just kind of passed mm-hmm. on. It's Second uh, Timothy two two. The things you received, mm-hmm. you know, you know, pass on to reliable people who will also be able to teach others. Now you do have to work hard, like a hard working farmer. You know, we did work hard, right, Kelly? 
We had a lot mm-hmm. of fun, you know, as well. And we we kind of made it our life that you know that campus. And again, started Soul Talks, you know, in in the dorms. I still remember we'd we'd, we'd walk around because we didn't have students, so we'd get in the conversation and say, "So, yeah, do you?" Uh, uh, do you have any interest in the Bible? Oh yeah, I like the Bible. Would you Would you like to ever come to a Bible study? And they, okay, sure. So uh, how about we start one in your room? And that's how we did it, you know. Oh and sometimes we'd have our first one, and the guy that didn't show up, Eric Bergman, he never showed up. But you know, other people did, and they became Christians. And he came in the room. Whoa, look at this! And so um, you know, it, it was it was it was a wonderful time. God moved, and I think maybe what you're referring to, I actually brought it here. I have our roster from. Um, spring of 1979 you know which is like two years two and a half years afterwards and we have uh 220 campus students all of which were baptized there uh 90 women amen of course wow 130 brothers amen (laughs) (laughs) wow and and it it was seriously amazing in in a way that we did it we just trained uh, uh bible talk leaders and we had 12 really excellent uh women bible talk leaders that kelly you know worked with and trained and then also 12 guys, and they were in the different dorms. And, um, y- you know, a couple of people become Christians in each one of those. And in, in fall of 1978, uh, 50 students were baptized at one fall. Wow, 40 amazing. of them were in the dorms. And it was a, it was a, but, but it wasn't just in Boulder. I also happen to have, as Kelly jokes with me about the things that I keep, yeah. you know, the, um, the campus ministry statistics from 1978 wow. and where places like Ohio State University had 98 uh, students baptized in the 1978-79 school uh, year where Bruce was in, uh, in Tallahassee. I yeah. think there were like 106 oh baptisms. Gainesville, yeah. 177 students were baptized. Wow. You know, there scores of places, University of, Mar- of Maryland, you know, University of Arizona, mm. LSU, over 40 baptisms, mm. University of Southern Colorado in a little place called Pueblo that nobody even has heard about. Right. You know, 71 wow. students were baptized, including one of our deacons here, Brian Hawkins, who's wow. in the, 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 the College Hall of Fame, Wrestling Hall of Fame, you know, just to give a little bit of tip. Mm. But it was, it was, it was power. Eastern Illinois, where Kip was at that yeah. time, 126 students baptized. Of course, I was so happy because we had 136. Because <laughs> we were a little young and competitive back then. You know, <laughs> you know but he zoomed yeah. fast as when he went to Boston, no doubt. But, you know, all kind of joking aside, it was, again, a God was moving. Now, one of the reasons is our, our churches, most of our, our church leaders, they were young, Okay, they, they weren't leading big churches or planting churches in other countries and that sort of thing. And then as time went on, of course, we went into the major cities and into other countries mm-hmm. and planting churches. And the focus got a little bit more off on campus ministry, but it was very, very focused mm-hmm. at that time. We were all trained well. And then there were other places, of course, like Chicago, where Roger Lamb and Marty Fuquay eventually went, and in Boston, obviously, with the, with the great things that happened, you know, there. And um, mm-hmm. uh, so God was just, God was great. God was powerful. And uh, uh, we, we compl- we've seen him do it other times, and we believe he's going to do it again and yeah. even more powerfully. Right. Wow. So why'd you go to why'd you go to Berkeley? I mean you've got yeah. this incredible campus Good ministry question. at Boulder. I mean I'm glad you did. Yeah. I'm really awesome. I mean 
But uh, you only had 100 college students there at UC Berkeley. I mean, only. But... I mean, yeah, I, I thought I thought it was the pinnacle when I became a Christian as a hundred. Now I hear about Boulder. I go, oh my gosh, it, it's amazing. What brought you to Berkeley? Hmm. You want me to go first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, Kelly and I had this um, this dream uh, after we'd been in Colorado and seen what God was doing there to help uh, plant a new church and a campus ministry in L.A. Hmm. And uh, to work at UCLA and USC, et cetera. And we actually sent interns there on some of the summers. We sent interns to Los Angeles and Tom and Denise Snyder to to Berkeley. Hmm. And the door was just not open in uh, in Los Angeles. And so uh, Berkeley and the uh, whole San Francisco Bay Area, um, you know, Tom and, uh, and Denise were hired in a small little church, you know, uh, there in Berkeley at about 60 members, you know, um, and he started the campus ministry there. And then we came a year or so later and, and actually came with a team from Boulder with two or three interns. And we got support from some people in Texas that, you know, believed in what we had done in, in, in Boulder and wanted to see that happen in Berkeley. And if you remember, we actually had campus ministries, not just at Berkeley, but at San Francisco State yep. and at Stanford yep. and at, uh, you know, uh, uh, several other uh, right. Hayward State, you know, mm-hmm. universities there. So it was, uh, uh, we, we actually went there to get a little bit closer to getting to LA. I see. Okay. Ah, okay. So it was a step it was a okay. stepping stone stepping to get to LA. Yeah. And and it was it was a wonderful a wonderful time God moved and and, and you remember. Oh, it was days. it was magical. I mean, I just remember people becoming Christians all the time. It seemed mm-hmm. almost automatic and <laughs> your preaching was powerful. Tom Snyder was right there right right before I became a Christian then Doug Beatty took over. That's right. And the campus ministry, but it was it's amazing how many Asians were becoming Christians. God was preparing the way for, right. for yeah. uh, Asian missions, you know, in the late '80s. But awesome time. Okay, so what? Let's just fast forward a little bit. Let's. How'd you get here? How'd you get to to Georgia? Mm. <laughs> you go first. We were invited to come and speak a number of times. They didn't have a, a minister here for a while. And so they would have different people come in, and you know we had relationships with some of the people that were here, and you know of course enjoyed coming because we loved them and and wanted to help out in any way that we could. And so they they just kept inviting us a number of times, and um, finally they began approaching us, you know, asking if we would you know consider coming, being their minister. I think they you know talked to a number of other uh, options for that, but. Nothing was panning out, and so at first, our first reaction, honestly, was no. <laughs> We're happy where we are. Uh, I actually told Bruce Williams, if you ask me to move anywhere, I will fall away. So I am staying here forever, <laughs> and I am dying in this home. I am never moving again. Mm. Um, I'm sure some people can relate to that, but no, I, I didn't have a real desire to go anywhere. Mm. Um, but as we came, we got to know people a little bit more. And we were talking to the elders one night after we had come one time, and we just said, so what is your plan B if we don't come? And I'll never forget them looking at us really teary-eyed and saying, we don't have a plan B. Because mm. they had exhausted some of their you know, uh, efforts. And so I told Tom, you know, honey, we need to go home and really pray about this. Mm. 
because God might be asking us to come. Mm -hmm. And so every other day would be like, no, there's no way. We're not going there now. You know, that just is not the best thing. And then the next day would be like, I think we really need to go. <laughs> and so it was very um, confusing. Um, I was torn inside about it. And it took about a month to decide hmm. that we were going to go. Um, and probably it was one of the hardest decisions to leave Bruce and Robin mm. of any decision I can remember making in a mm. long, long time. And leaving, you know, our home that we had been with. We'd probably been in Orange County the longest of anywhere. Wow. So um, that was really tough. It was a really, really hard decision. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you sort of have to back up a little bit to, to fully get the context because from Berkeley to... Um, 2006 here in Atlanta, that's a long time, you know, 30 years. And right. So it was a lot that, that happened there, including some wonderful years in Boston, eventually being able to plant the church, you know, in Los Angeles. But then, you know, me not doing well spiritually. You know, we tried to be very open about this, you know, over the years. Our marriage struggled mainly because of me not dealing with purity, you know, decisively in my life. We, we ended up having to get out of the ministry. And that was a rough time. And then, um, you know, had a tough decade, you know, in the 90s. I was in the uh, secular world, the business mm -hmm. world. You know, did well because discipling really helps you in whatever you're, right. you're, you're doing. And just building back our faith mm -hmm. in our marriage. And, that, and, uh, and we, we were out in L.A. because that's where the people that we felt like could help us uh, the most, Bruce and Robin Williams, who discipled us and loved us and helped us a great deal. For a decade while we were out of the ministry, the Bairds, uh, mm -hmm. so many people. Um, and, um, you know, when we went back in the ministry, we were like 50 years old. Mm -hmm. We were asked to go back in the ministry. Wow. And so it was like, that really wasn't happening very much, you know, at that time. And <laughs> right. we were like, okay, uh, we're kind of middle-of-the-road family group leaders here. Like, <laughs> why exactly, you know? It, but, you know, wow. I think some of the brothers there knew what, you know, when we were doing well, you know, how, how God was able to to use us in various ways. And so um, we, we were back in the ministry and, in, uh, you know, for about three years. And it was right mm -hmm. right before that period where the church went through really tough times. People mm -hmm. call it a pruning, a tsunami, a fire storm, whatever, you, right. you know, most people who've been around for a while know there was some challenging times. And the, the church um, was... It was a little bit uh, chaotic time, and when you have a tough couple of years in your life, uh, you know, in a church, you know, you get by. You have the people that are strong and stable and they really want to be there. In a campus ministry, you have two or three bad years in a campus ministry, mm -hmm. it shrinks. Right. Mm -hmm. It shrivels up. And in Los Angeles, at one, at one time, the, uh, the, the church there had a 1,000 campus students. Wow. While we were there, now we, we we weren't in the ministry at that time, but when we came back, and it you know, uh, it, it it was close to that. Um, well, when we had that rough period, um, Kelly and I were leading a region in Orange County, and uh, we have what for what, what I call a my Nehemiah moment, and that is we were leading and we were checking how we were doing in our campus ministry, and we'd had one baptism, in. Um, mm -hmm. In, in six months and wow. then found out what was happening around the rest of the church and it was just it, 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 it was a very very vulnerable and weak situation and so we asked the leaders could we help oversee the campus ministry and they said um, sure okay you know do that because we you know 
we we kind of had it in our bones, you know, in our instincts and in our hearts. So we started an internship program up again, and we had 50 interns that summer in 2005. That's where we first uh, issued the one-year challenge, wow. okay, in 2005. And um, concurrently, okay, so uh, and, and, and some great things are happening there. Mike Tolliver got the ICMC started, you know, mm-hmm. restarted there in San Antonio and at, at ten, San Antonio. We got it the next year in L.A. as we were planning for it. And so Sean Wooten comes to town. And uh, we we have uh, lunch with him. And our son, Ryan, graduated from UCLA, was going down regularly to uh, help orphans in Tacata, Mexico. And so we're sitting there at table in the Cheesecake Factory, by the way. And Ryan says, what can we do uh, to help out the orphans in, uh, in, in Russia? That's where Sean was at the time. And Sean said, just move, move and come serve with me. And so Kelly's grabbing my leg, you know, and cutting off the circulation under the table. Well, then Sean goes, maybe we should pray about this first. Mm. And I looked at him and I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah, that's a good idea. But the reason I'm going into that, here we are giving out the one-year challenge. Right. And our son is taking it. He sold his car, all his possessions to go to Moscow, Mm. okay, and serve, uh, teach English and serve orphans, and then he ends up going to Kiev with Sean and his family, you know, and he's there for three years. And we're telling everybody else, and then they're asking us in Atlanta, please come. Mm. And it's like, ay, ay, ay. Mm. And so as Kelly said, we, we brought it to the L.A. leadership and said, well, who, who can do this? Okay, if we don't do it, who, who can? And um, so we, you know, we decided, yeah, move the other across the country and, uh, leave our children, our our uh, our daughter, and um, but it's it's been a wonderful, mm. you know, wonderful sixteen and a half years. Orange and, County is a nice place to live. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> along with San Diego, little yeah. slice of heaven on yeah. continental U.S. That that must have been a big sacrifice. Now, this now is, we have the big chicken here in Marietta, <laughs> and we yeah, have the world have champion that. Atlanta Braves. Okay, uh huh. Hmm. Well, this is this is where I find it so interesting. Okay, you guys went through tough times. You, you know, I'm I'm glad you brought that up, Tom. I appreciate your bringing it up. Um, I've heard you share that before. That you, you said, you know, some of you may have had a bad year, had a bad decade, and um, but most people retire from campus ministry. I mean, a lot of current leaders were converted in campus ministry, but they're no longer working on campus ministry. But you and Kelly just seem to be getting started when you turned 50. I mean, you've, you've come to Georgia. I've heard just reports of the campus ministry being over 200 disciples wow. in, in your church alone. And I'm like, okay, I got to come out to this campus training program, mm-hmm. find out what in the world. Yeah. I mean, I, I heard Jordan saying, you know, we're, we're struggling a little bit because we're, we're down to 140 from <laughs> from over 220 or something. I'm like, like, oh, mm, my gosh, no. that, that's tough. It's really sad there, Jordan. You know? But I think there's a lot of leaders out there like, whoa, you know, what's going on there? How are you doing it? Um, what? Let me just ask you this. Why did you do this? What? Why did you decide, okay, we're going to get back into campus. You could have just said, "Hey, we're going to we're going to lead the church." Mm-hmm. Boom. Yeah. Campus ministry, do what it can. Why did you get so involved in the campus ministry? Yeah. That's a good question. Um I think I see it as the future of our movement, really. Because if we're not handing down everything that we know, 
and have experienced and learned, then how are we going to keep things moving and growing? And I, I look at them as, I, you know, and, and someone looked at me knowing that they're going to become the next elders, the next women's, you know, ministry leader, the next ministers, mm. um, the next pillars, the next Bible talk leaders, our future singles leaders. I mean, it's, it's so important to reach the next generation. And I've, I think, you know, we all have to really take that to heart. Um, I think if we're not focusing in some way on campus, we're, we're really missing out mm-hmm. and really not building the way that I, I think, you know, we all need to. But I also believe that that's a time when people are so available. You can get with them anytime. It's, their schedules are more flexible. Mm-hmm. You're not dealing with so many issues as they grow older, they get married or they have kids or um, they're in a full-time job, it changes and you do not have as much availability. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a key time in people's lives to really make a powerful impact. It's a you know time when they can have crazy courage. <laughs> they can get out and share right. every single day. Right. Um, it, it's just one of those unique times that I feel like God really wants to use Mm. to help our churches and then it it also energizes the entire church okay all right that that's great kelly and that's all encouraging and stuff like that but i go okay you're you're in your 50s coming here to to georgia you could have said hey this is kind of like near my home my home close to florida i'm just gonna take it easy Mm. i'm just gonna chill enjoy the life being a pastor's wife and but i mean you're hardline into it. I mean, I've heard you talk. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, this lady, she's a she's a go-getter. I mean, why didn't she just like hit the lazy boy and just relax? Well, it's not like I'm not tempted. I'm human, and that would be really nice. I actually have thought, what would that be like? Right. I just, I can't in my conscience do that. And it's called passion. I, I just, I think I've never lost the passion for God and what I've been given. I have been given a treasure. Mm. Uh, this incredible treasure, and to just sort of set it aside and not treasure my salvation and treasure training up young people and giving them everything I can, mm. and that doesn't mean it. You know, it's it, I'm going to have to you know limit myself some ways because I am getting older. It doesn't mean that, right. but it means I'm going to do everything within my power mm. to influence as many young people as I can because I do believe they are the future right. of our churches, and I I care about. God's kingdom. Mm. It's not just I'm building up my church. Right. I'm building up the kingdom. We want to not just, you know, develop strong leaders here. We want to send them out mm. right? and help other churches. How about you, Tom? That. Yeah. I married well. Didn't you really did. You <laughs> <I> did. <laughs> yeah, thanks for sharing that, Kelly. Oh, my goodness. Um, y- you know, when you first ask the question, it's, it's, to me it's like, why are you guys doing podcasts? Because mm-hmm. you are, because it's on your heart. God put it in your heart, and you're halfway good at it, right? Mm-hmm. You guys are really good at it. We're decent at campus ministry, you know. Right. We're through okay. the years. You find out, you okay. know, you're wh- good. You're good at it, but you're also fifty. You're mid fifties, coming to Georgia. Yeah. You could have said, "Hey, my wife has health challenges. We've got, you know, age. You know, th- we're just gonna let somebody else take care of it." Yeah, well, it, on the strategic side. Okay, since we do, all four of us around this table, we love the kingdom. We love the church. We believe in it. Yeah. Uh, we've been transformed by God working through through it. 
And, um, you know, strategically, you just look over the uh, the leaders in our churches and where did they become Christians? Right. The large majority of them, and at this point it's in campus right. uh, that's there. When you, I, I, we just were on, on Monday in France at the European Missions Society board meeting. And I asked that group there, when did you guys become Christians? You know, it's not going to surprise you, is it? Almost all of them right. in their campus years. We had our Atlanta ministers meeting here right. two days ago. And along with some of our Southeast leaders, I asked the same question, a little devotional right after our CTP session. When did you become a disciple? There you go again. Right. Hmm. Campus years certainly under you know twenty five. So strategically, and the thing that I've you know noticed through the years, if your church, if your campus ministry dips below about ten percent of your membership, in my opinion, and what I've noticed, you know that a little warning light needs to go off. Right. Okay. Hmm. And if it yeah. gets lower than that, I mean thriving, powerful churches have up to 20%, you know, campus students and on the mission field even more because that's where you're going to get, you know, your uh, your kingdom kid teachers, people who work with your middle school ministry, with your high school, you know, ministry. They're going to get married and have, you know, and get jobs and become, you know, the next generation. And so strategically, it just makes a ton of sense. Now, one of the challenges, I think, okay, because we're all parents, <laughs> and as you get older, you, you naturally are drawn oh, toward yeah. the Kingdom Kids Ministry and the right. marriage. Youth and family ministry. Your kids right. are there, of right. course. Right. You know, it's a natural right. thing. And so I think a lot of times we, you know, with the beauty of doing that and the importance of doing that, because it is a challenge, it's always been a challenge with the second generation in mm-hmm. any movement in the right. Bible, you see it all the way through. Right. You know, the kids, you know, they grew up with it. It's 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 different, right? Okay, their experience, you know, is different, and so I think that, um, you know, uh, so strategically for us because we love the church, we know how important it is, and uh, it does take some level of sacrifice. And I'll give you an example. Uh, I think the beauty at North River is a team environment. Okay, and I illustrated it in this way: when we came here, three of the four elders were baptized in the campus ministry hmm. two of them in Gainesville hmm. you know where you know we were uh, the other in South Florida and um, so they understood it okay hmm. and when we came to, and then North River as it came together didn't have any campus students and then uh, they were able to um, you know from you know another uh, church here in Atlanta have have some uh, uh, 15 20 campus kids come over here and because we were going to get a campus ministry focus here at North River. And um, it was, um, but, but let me see the best way to put that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to branch out from North River. The, the men and women who were converted in campus ministry and understand the power and the significance of it as they're older, if you're 50, if you're 70, if you're 45, whatever, in your church, you have to get together and and, and and expect we have to have a great ministry aimed at campus age students. Not right. everybody's in a campus setting, right. okay? And right. we're not trying to say campus ministry is more important than teaching right. or elders or youth right. and family. Not saying that at all in any way. Our hope are wide at all. But it's a vital piece of church growth and church, uh, you know, um, 
strategic plan, you know. So, but I think it is important. We've been fortunate here at North River to have many people, elders, deacons, small group leaders who are also converted in mm. campus ministry and understand it. Although we occasionally get criticism, why is there so much emphasis on the campus? Right. You know, and yeah, exactly. you know because yeah. you know, particularly if you got a, a high school kid or a middle school kid who's hurting, right. right, or you know, a young, you know, a young child. I think we have a pretty good balance, you know, here. But um, anyway, that's that, that's what I'm thinking. So it's in our heart, okay, right, and we're decently good at it, and. <laughs> It's strategic. Well, I think you brought up a couple things. I've, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Like, what is the right percentage or right ratio of campus? And I thought about twenty percent. You know, if you're if you're a church of about a hundred, I would I would think a healthy number is about twenty college students. It gives like a heartbeat to your church. It gives energy, enthusiasm, and I think you're right. It, it's key for building up the church. And um, I'm really glad you brought that up about. Um, the resistance, because as the mm-hmm. church gets older, right. many times people go, oh, we want a youth and family minister. Mm-hmm. We don't want a campus minister. Why are you so focused on those right. kids? They mo- may yeah. move elsewhere. And uh, how, how have you explained that, Tom? I mean, you've touched on it right there, but mm-hmm. how do you handle that criticism? That you're too focused on campus and you're not 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 enough on families and... Yeah, the secret um, secret sauce in that is just let the elders do it for you. You know, let them talk to people. And, so, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 you know, and be sensitive and to listen and yeah. be able to talk about because many times it's not, you know, I, I think many times it's coming more, you know, from some, someone who's hurting, has some, right. you know, something going on in their life that's challenging, maybe with their kids or with their, and, and not just your kids in middle school or high school, it could be your kids who are 28 years old, right. you know, and they're kind of, you know, struggling a little, you know, a little bit. Um, and so um, the, um, that, that, that's probably, yeah. that's probably what I would, what, what I would say and stay humble and to listen and to talk it, you know, and to talk it through. I think that, um, can I that, just say yeah, one yeah. thing? I, I do think we've tried really hard here to integrate campus yeah, and true. youth uh, and family or the team ministry because they are hopefully the heroes that you want, right. you know, your child to be able to look up to, right. to emulate, mm-hmm. to learn from. And, um, we're always searching for, you know, the next campus students that, that have a heart for, te- you know, teens and right. can embrace them and wrap their arms around them. And I think families really do appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Some families are a little bit more initiative in that, and we have to help them, you know, know that youth and family can't meet all your right. child's needs. Right. But um, but with the parents, we try to also work with them alongside of the teen leaders. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that's been a nice... Um, thing to see, you know, it really helped a lot of these teens that are struggling. And they are coming up against so many more intense things, intense temptations, things that are confusing than we ever had to deal with. Oh my gosh. I really get it when parents are concerned. Absolutely. I think they should be. And I think we, you know, we want to keep that in mind. Great point. You guys came here, the church was what size when you, when you arrived? About two hundred, yeah. When they, when they asked us to come, the membership uh, role at least had one hundred and seventy-seven. Okay, and then prior to COVID, before we went into COVID, how big was the church? 
1100 or something. Oh my gosh. Wow. Whoa, church just took wow. off. And the campus, what was the, the kind of growth that you saw from 06 to 2020? Yeah, from, you know, 1520 uh, to 225. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, Tom, I, I came out here because I'm like, I want to imitate this guy. I want to learn from, from somebody who's actually doing it. And, you know, we've seen a, a big hit in our campus ministry okay. from COVID. Uh, people graduating, people walking away, right. yeah. mm-hmm. uh, cultural, all sorts of, you know you yeah. know exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm like, I need to go out and find out what Tom is doing. And what have you done in Atlanta that other ministers may not be doing? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what I want to find yeah. out here. This, this is really why I came. What, what in the world have you done since 2006 to grow it and the church that other people are not doing? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that a lot of people are doing a lot of great things. Oh, I know in, that. In, Absolutely. In, in, in a lot of other places. Sure. Maybe not as, as, as strongly in the campus you know, ministry, but I think that um, I can highlight some of the elements that have made, um, I think, have attributed a lot to what God's done here. I think the um, biggest emphasis is focus on Jesus and not on issues. And when we moved here, Atlanta had, had, had had some tough times, you know, um, you know, in the church, you know, you know, here and decided to become several, you know, five, six, seven, you know, separate congregations still working together as brothers and sisters. But that was a rough time. And, I, you know, all of our churches went through a rough time, right? you know, there. But I think uh, focus on Jesus, you know, you know, first of all, I um we, we've emphasized from the very beginning team leadership, and uh, Kelly and I resist being called the church leaders. We certainly don't use that term. Uh, other, pe- other people do, and we understand it, you know, because we always, you know, people <laughs> at conferences, you know, say, so do you lead the church there in North River? We actually, Jesus leads the church <laughs> in North River, but, but we're part of a leadership team now. Yeah. Now we happen to be the, the senior you know, right. age-wise, right. you know, right. ministers a little bit more experienced, but we really do emphasize a strong teamwork with our staff, especially as it's grown and matured over the years, but particularly with our elders. We've, we've met together uh, weekly, you know, for 15, 16 years, you know, and uh, absolutely work on a team, you know, you know, basis there. I think that... Um, that's an important element of that, and there's a lot of security that comes, you know, throughout, you know, the church, you know, on that. I think that on on lifestyle, here's the thing: um, Kelly and I, our life is fairly simple. Okay, um, our daughter and grandkids are in California. We miss them. We go visit them, but it's not like we're going to see them every every other day here. Right. right. Okay. Or they're or they're coming over. Our son, you know, is here now, but he's, you know, got a great job, independent house, you know, all of that, you know. So um, we don't have a lot of distractions. I don't play a lot of golf, you know, particularly, which is great because some people it's a wonderful way where they <laughs> relax and Sabbath on that. So we're fairly tunnel visioned on the church and our lifestyle as empty nesters allowed that. So. Where practically we're able to do some things, for instance, like I talked about yesterday, on the campus front, 
we have our normal things you do at church where you have a Sunday service, you have a Wednesday night, you know, midweek, you have a family group or, you know, Bible talk, whatever you call it. But in addition to that, on the campus front, that for many years, it's just recently changed a little bit, okay, because we're, we're shifting into a little transition, on, you know, role. But on Tuesday nights, we would go to a campus midweek. We call them Tuesday Night Live, either at Georgia Tech or at KSU. On Friday night, we'd go to a Friday night devotional with the campus students. On Sunday after church, we would go to a one o'clock campus Bible talk leaders where we'd have up to 50 campus Bible talk leaders and people training for the ministry. And at first we did a lot of teaching on You know, the latter years, we were just there encouraging them. And we were noting the new Bible talk leaders and the people training for the ministry and getting with them during the week and helping support the campus staff, at, you know, at interns. And so, uh, and, then, and then discipling on a regular, each week on a weekly basis, two or three campus leaders or campus leader couples. So that's an investment, you know, that was there. And so the, the, the church and the leadership uh, was okay with that. It did keep us from being able to do some other things, although I think the way the church has grown, you've been able to see it didn't keep the church, you know, you know from growing. Absolutely. There. We had to help work and bring in other staff. We've got wonderful uh, you know, fellow evangelists here, you know, Jeff Hickman, and of course, Jordan Massey is now an evangelist. And he grew, raised up from becoming a disciple here. He and LaToya, the McIntoshes, Sherwin and Debbie McIntoshes are elder and just amazing, you know, uh, people uh, and disciples and trainers and, uh, you, you know, many, many more. But I think what you're getting at, we had the availability with our empty nest kind of couldn't do that if we had three kids out in the hall like these guys out right. here we just passed right you right. know but we had an ability to be able to do that we had a focus on it and um, that's that's it yeah, and I, I would say um, getting with them in a lot of Bible studies yeah. in the beginning because then it, it connected me immediately with them right I would know their background I would know where they came from I'd know how to encourage them when I would see them in fellowship. Um, and it, then it was just very bonding, you know, because the campus students then they they understand, you know, how great it is to have an older woman in their lives and how uh, important that is. And then we also connected each Bible talk that is on campus with a family group or whatever um, uh, or Bible talk with that's adult, and they would do that about every month or every other month on it like a Sunday night. Just go over, hang out, have food, talk, and that would give them some interaction with another adult that could be in their lives or just call and check on them. And I think that was really meaningful and also just strengthen those young disciples because they need a lot of encouragement and a lot of support. And then it, it helped also people be in their lives that could help them sort of walk through different issues with their families and, you know, their... their um, situation. So that's been very meaningful. And then hiring uh, interns, I think, was was key in really developing leadership. Mm -hmm. I'd have to say, uh, I think, you know, everybody should have an opportunity if they have a desire to, to be a leader. Right. Everybody should have that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, some of those meetings were just unbelievably encouraging. You would sit there just going, oh my gosh, you know, there's so much encouragement 
going on. Mm -hmm. But if you weren't having those meetings, you weren't gathering that group together, they wouldn't be able to, you know, just have that encouragement spill on to them and in such a powerful way and build their faith to hear what God was doing. Some of the stories were just unbelievable uh, about their own personal evangelism and what God was doing on campus. Hmm. And I never tire of it, ever. That's amazing. Wow, I love that. And I re- I there are areas that. we'd love to make uh, more improvement, you know, in North River, I think, with our, our young families. You know, we really need to help support them more and help them be a stronger force. You know, I think sometimes we haven't given as much attention as we needed, you know, to them. Our singles ministry, singles have a great need to be together and to be. Right. And uh, there are other churches, I think, that are stronger than we are in that. And we're trying to address that. And so definitely don't want to give the impression like we have it all figured out. We're still trying to figure it out. Of course. Of course. course. But what I hear you saying is, okay, you, you went beyond the average church schedule you were focused. Mm-hmm. It, it was an advantage that your kids were adults, so you, you could concentrate on the area that you wanted to. Tuesday nights, can you what tu, Tuesday night live? I, I heard that. I heard you saying something like TNL. T, TNL. I'm yeah, like, somebody, what in the world is that? What's can, TNL. Can you give yeah. us a quick? Uh, sure. It's just a campus midweek on on a college campus. Okay. Okay. That the campus students lead. And um, if you have a campus minister intern or they're there, and it, it's great, it's right on campus, you share your faith and grab people to come, you know, spend time. And it's, it's always energetic and it gives the students a chance to be able to lead. And it's, it's the probably for us uh, the greatest evangelistic, uh, where we have the greatest number of visitors, okay, you know, come to that because it's right on their, you know, on their campus. Got it. Okay, so COVID's over, moving out of it, cross, double, double fingers crossed here. A lot, of the, a lot of the campus ministries that I've talked to, campus ministers, campuses are depleted, to, mm-hmm. say, to say the least. Yeah. Um, numbers have gone down. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's discouragement. There's yeah. feelings like, oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. where do we go from here? I'd like to know from you guys. What advice would you give to either a campus leader, church, small church leader, to get their campus ministry growing after COVID? Let's let's just imagine they're a small town somewhere, sixty thousand. You've got a campus campus of six kids or something, or three kids, and you're like, where do I even start? What what should I do? Okay, I'll go first. Sure. Um, number one thing that we ought to always do is to pray. Mm-hmm. But I mean. Pray like persistent widow prayers. Mm. And if I had three students there and that was it, I would sure make sure as a church leader, I'm praying for each one of them every single day Mm. and pray for them Mm. to be strong, to pray for them, to lead them to... I I would look for them every single time in fellowship. And how are you doing? Hey, listen, I was praying for anybody I can... I would... Uh, anytime and encourage them with like when they have a guest at church to go meet them and talk with them and hook them up with somebody you know of a similar whatever age group of a similar kind of interest or that type of thing that's what I would you know I would do I would try to get with them on a regular basis and and then get them with other people that have that uh had great campus experiences, you know, because not everybody was converted in campus, right, you know, right, but the people right. who were, they get it. They, they understand. They right. know the lingo. They know how they're comfortable, you know, you know, with it. I'm lost on a, uh, 
you know, a, a musical stage or something or worship <laughs> industry. You know, I know I'm going to trip over something and break stuff. I don't know. But, you know, but, you know, um, the people who have that experience and to know mm-hmm. that that's something that you, you know, that you can, you know, that you can do. And then uh, grab together the people in your church who understand and believe in campus ministry and have that experience and get together and pray and talk. Maybe you can raise a little bit of money and uh, be able to add an intern. Go to things. Make a commitment to get to things like CTP or right. the, in Orlando with the ICMC. Right. Or go to the closest uh, church that has a growing, thriving campus ministry mm-hmm. and get your students connected with them. And that's one right. of the nice things about CTP. Right. In a smaller campus ministry, they can be here and be with this right. larger group of right. 150 and get that fellowship and that encouragement. Those right. are some beginning things. That's you great. Do. But you cannot get beyond prayer because sometimes we say oh, i'm praying about it well we pray about it once a week right. or something but instead of really being focused prayers like if you had a child in the hospital prayers right. you know mm-hmm. or you know i really believe in that well you shared about that yesterday that you go before you preach you walk through the aisles at church and yeah. pray for the people you know where they sit typically mm-hmm. you pray through the roster um, I recently did a podcast with another church leader who does the very same thing, Kai Foster. He's really into prayer, and it, it inspires me, yeah, absolutely. Kelly, is. what would you do? Um, I think I agree with what Tom was saying, but I also believe that we've got to infuse faith in people because it's all about just believing. You, you know, it's, it's, um, you're, you're not seeing it right now. It's not happening. You're sharing your faith, but nothing, nobody responds. But you still believe. Mm-hmm. You still believe that God is with you. You still mm-hmm. believe that God has you on a mission mm-hmm. and that you're there for a reason. And I think whoever is the leader of that campus needs to continue to instill faith. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty big to me because you're, there are going to be times of discouragement. Right. I remember praying for 10 women baptisms. I'd prayed for that every single year. And we one time thought we were really close to having it and had zero baptisms. Mm. And I thought, what is going on here? <laughs> and so we had to go back to the drawing board and just not give up. Right. It's just about not giving up. Right. And mm. Something is going to happen at some point. If you're sharing your faith enough, there is somebody on that campus that needs to hear what you have to That's say. Right. We have what the world needs. Right. And we can't ever forget that. Mm. Right. All said. So um, can I make another thought on that? Please do. You know, people have asked, Kelly and I, like through the years, like what, what, similar to some of the things we've talked about here, what, what was it, you know, back mm-hmm. in those early days? And, yeah. You know, was, Pam, was, was it in the water? Was it in the air? Right, you know, yeah. what, was it something you're smoking? I mean, yeah, what's, yeah, what's yeah. going on here? Yeah, people said, ask you the same thing about the Boston days. Uh-huh, I mean, amazing yes. times, yeah. and certainly the times in the Philippines mm-hmm. and right. in the, you know, uh, Russia and Kiev right. and with yeah. you in San you know, that's right. And, and, uh, you know, I've answered it in various ways. I've even done talks about it, right. you know, and g- given certain points. And But I really do believe it, it's nothing ultimately, you know, less or more than the gracious hand of God mm-hmm. that just it chose at times to work. And, it, and so we, the, the prayer is, God, you've done it before. That's right. Do it again. That's yeah. right. Okay, by your Holy Spirit, yeah. you do it again. And I, be- I believe that I think that our elder and uh, one of our two elders, Richard Whitehead in Gainesville, as you'll remember, Kelly, 
always his favorite verse was Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Booming voice. It would blow your ears off if you were in the front row. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we dare to ask or imagine according to the power, his power working within us, to him be glory in the church now and, and, and for ages to come. The best is yet to come, mm. to really believe it. We, we believe, help us in our unbelief. Mm. God can, he doesn't move always in the same way in every chapter in the Bible or in every decade, mm. you know, but he does it, okay? And he's laying the groundwork. And I would just say on the post-COVID thing, you know, just view that as a pruning. That's right. And, mm. and we have learned things and we're doing things with Zoom and, you know, a lot of several things that we're learning, you know, you know through here. And um, the clouds are parting a little bit, and right. we're going to be able to get this done. But it, it really is going to be God, and you just have to call on Him, you That's know, right. you know, to act because ultimately it's not how clever we are. Yeah, and I was going to say yeah. the same thing is that I really believe it has nothing to do with us, or very mm. little, I would say, not nothing, but because we have to do something. But if we just do very little. God can make something amazing happen. Mm-hmm. It's not like we have to go share for 24 hours, right. you know, a day. But God is, is preparing people's hearts. He promises that in his word. And I, I just think we have to get back to some of the things that we know th- that are in there and just ask ourselves, do I really believe in what God is saying? Right. And I thought of a girl named Nafisa, um, this beautiful, beautiful black sister. I discipled her when I first moved here, but she's just amazing. She... Uh, did not want to share her faith one night, and they were supposed to share their faith because Douglas Jacoby was teaching about, you know, atheism and the existence of God on campus. And so she forced herself to share with this one guy. And anyways, he ended up coming. Um, he, you know, was an atheist. And then he ended up finding his way to church the next day. And, we, you know, we talked with him. I remember meeting him. So John Renshaw ended up studying the Bible and becoming a Christian, and they got married. Oh, my gosh. And so <laughs> I just think we've got to go back to some of the stories That's right. that really remind us. That's right. You know, I need reminding sometimes right. when I'm weak. Yeah. But it has so little to do with us because she didn't want to share her faith. Right. She just did it because she knew she should. That's right. And we'd love, all love to share out of you know our passion right. or our appreciation for God, but that's not always the case. It just do just keep putting one foot in front of the other. That's awesome. Yeah, well it's said. been really awesome to mm-hmm. see so many young people, young adults here, eager to learn how to spread the gospel on campus in their lives. There's a ministry training class. Yeah. Is a ministry for me. A lot of people thinking about whether they want to do ministry as a profession. What advice would you give to that type of a person who wants to make this life count, who wants to live a no-regrets life? I mean, I look at your lives and I go, the thing that I respect about both of you, there's a lot of different things, is one, you've overcome difficulties and without bitterness, you're moving forward, and you're being used by God at every stage of your life, in your 20s, cranking on campus, in your 60s, cranking a church, cranking on campus. I go, that's the way I want to live. I want to I make this life count. I don't want to slow down. I don't want to you know, head off to the to pasture. I want to die with my guns blazing. I want, to, I want to go for it. What advice would you give? How do you do that? You want first? I'll, I'll follow you. Um, 
And, and this is the advice to the younger people yeah. next door? Yeah. Or just, you know, just anybody. What advice would you give to a person who wants to make this life count for God, who yeah. wants to live a no-regrets life? Yeah. I would say, first and foremost, is to focus on Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's the Hebrews 12, um, you know, fix your eyes on Jesus and... Um, you know, then you're able to throw off the things that hinder. You know, mm-hmm. there are a lot of things that compete, you know, for our attention and our energy in life. But, you know, surrounded by these great cloud of witnesses, the book of Hebrews says, and, you know, because we all have a lot of people that have inspired us, you know, mm-hmm. in our lives and from the scriptures, in the scriptures, in our own lives. And, you know, with all that in mind, fix our eyes on Jesus and run mm-hmm. the race. It's a race, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and you're going to get tired and you're going to have to stop and right. walk a little bit. And <clears throat> you love that passage in Isaiah chapter 40 about those who wait on the Lord, right. strong with Him. You know, you're going to walk, mm-hmm. you're going to run, and you're you're going to be able to fly, right. you know, at some point as well. But I really think that that, that, that is the most important thing to rely on God's power, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, right. says the Lord of hosts, you know, that's Zechariah 4, 6, and to make this more about God than about us. Right. And Kelly has this wonderful phrase she always uses when there's a challenge, and she says, okay, where where is God in this mm-hmm. and what he's doing in this? And make the focus as much on God as possible. And then I think the um, that, that great passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, for we preach Jesus is Lord, and that's getting back that early part of our right. you know mm-hmm. time together, yeah. you know, yeah. the Lordship of Christ. We preach Jesus is Lord in ourselves as your servants. Mm-hmm. Right. And this thought is that uh, just make it an aim to do with joy what servants in God's kingdom do. I had mm-hmm. a talk with, with Douglas Arthur on the phone, uh, I think it was yesterday, and we were chatting, and he was saying he remembered like the first time he heard me give a sermon. It was up in Boston, and uh, he said that there was one thing I said that kind of inspired him to go into the ministry. And it was it was uh, as he recalled, I said, you know, I figured out a long time ago that if I've got to do what the Bible says, okay, I might as well have fun doing it. That's and right. so, uh, <laughs> he's a fun-loving guy. I do think you just you know have to with joy do what uh, you know what servants in the kingdom right. you know are able to to be able to do. And um, I'm happiest, and I know we are in our marriage, and everybody is happier when their focus is not on themselves, mm-hmm. but on Christ. And that would be, and then, it then. Be a little edgy. Be a little risky. You know, I mean, you know, get out of your. I think a lot of us are a little rusty on some right. things coming out of the pandemic. Right. One of the truth. Right. So just get a little bit of crazy. Yeah. On the elevator, just make a noise. Uh, you know, and you got to say something and just get going. Okay, yeah. shake the dust, rust, rust off. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I don't want to go out quietly. No. I really don't. I want to go out with a bang. And I think God's love is loud, mm-hmm. it's clear, mm-hmm. it's obvious. It's not subtle, mm. and I don't want to be subtle about loving God. I, mm. I really don't. I think of the passage um, in Luke that talks about he who is forgiven much loves much. Mm. Mm. He's forgiven little loves little. And I, I just think I've always felt this since I was a young Christian that why me? Why does God love me so much? Mm. Yeah. You know, there are many people that don't know him that have not been able to experience mm. any of the joy of the Lord. Right. I've gotten to experience the joy of the Lord every day, mm-hmm. and I I can't 
I really can't and shudder to imagine my life without him mm. and without hope and without, you know, the Holy Spirit. I mean, the hope of heaven. I mean, just the scriptures. It, the fellowship that we get to share is mm-hmm. just so precious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like if I can just love people every day, somehow, some way, communicate God's love to you, then that's, you know, that's all that matters. And wow. I, <laughs> I think that, um, y- you know, it, to me, I can't, I can't just give God the crumbs and, you know, just kind of at a certain point, just stop really giving fully. Hmm. And I think that's what I have to remind myself of is how much God keeps giving fully all the time. He always shows up. Right. He continues to show up. And so I just want to do that for God. I really want to show up wherever He needs me. Wow. Mm. And, wow. Hey, Bob, inspiring. can I say something before we're done? <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, I want to thank you guys for what you're doing. Mm. I mean, this is a wonderful uh, work of love. Mm. Okay. I know it takes a, a lot of focus and energy, and I think it's helping mm. a, a ton of people. Um, and I don't know how I could go through the, this conversation without thanking God. And anybody who happens to hear this, for all of the brothers and sisters, you know, through the years, right. it's been decades that yeah. have been committed, particularly in this discussion we yeah. had about campus ministry, yeah. mm-hmm. that have poured their lives out. And many of their children now are serving, you know, in that same way. Right. And people that have gone on before, like Wyndham Shaw right. yeah. and like Scott Green mm-hmm. and, of course, you know, you know Gloria and, right. you know, Bob, so many people that have served and so many people that... Uh, and so if anybody's listening, you guys, you know, <laughs> that we've been working together for so many yeah. years, thank you. You know, it's made a big impact. And I really, I know Kelly and I want to thank all of the brave campus soldiers, you know, brothers and right. sisters that are in the, uh, the, 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 the full-time ministry and those interns mm-hmm. because they're not enough of them. And that's right. what we're hoping yeah. to do to inspire yes. programs like this, to more. have more and more mm-hmm. people to have, you know, that vision. But I'm very, very grateful, you know, and um, it, it's such a fantastic band of brothers and sisters yeah. and such a wonderful heritage we have. Tom and Kelly, thank you so much. It's been a, a great retreat, the yes, campus training program you. here, mm-hmm. and all the best to you guys going forward. Thank you for the inspiration and the example, and uh, we just pray God continues to bless you guys. Yeah, thank you. It's been a real joy to be here, to learn from you guys. A pleasure. Thank you so much for joining the Rob Skinner podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.